Welcome to Beyond Fatima. I'm your host, Katie Moran, and today's show is on the Holy Angels in Fatima. I will again have with me Barb Ernstein, and we'll be talking about the Church's teachings on the angels. We're going to really educate you on angels and then tell you a little bit about what happened at Fatima and how that impacted the children. But before I begin, I always ask everyone to pray for me. One Hail Mary in the name of to pray the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever. The format of this show, for those of you who are new to it, is topics from apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima from 1917, and we take these topics and show them in light of the Church's teachings and private revelation, explain more about them, for Fatima is a compendium of the Gospels. Uh, I know Father, um, the, uh, Father Fox used to say that all the time. So I have with me today Barb Ernster editor of Soul Magazine. Uh, edit, uh, she edited the book on Sister Lucia, Pathways to Under the Gaze of Mary, and she does many, many things for the World Apostolate of Fatima. And she's going to come in a little bit later. We're going to talk about the angels. But first, I'm going to give you a brief overview of the teachings of angels and where they came from and how they're an integral part of our Catholic faith. Uh, angels are in the Old and New Testament. If any of you are familiar with the scripture, you are. I'm just going to pull a few out for you. They're in Genesis during the expulsion from Eden. Abraham, with the three angels who came to see him, a representative of the Trinity. That's a very famous icon now. And that's when he was told he would be a father. Tobit, Isaiah, Kings, Daniel with the angels in the fire. Archangel Raphael with the two Tobiases. He's the angel of healing. We also know that St. Michael contended with the body of Moses with Satan. And Maccabees with the angels coming to the aid of the Israelites during that great battle. So we see them. All you have to do, if you can get yourself a textual concordance and look up angels, and I know they sell textual concordance at the at the uh, bluearmy.com or else go on and get it from Amazon. That is a, a handy tool to have with you. You just look up the topic and it lists them all where to find them, and even the quotes there, so you can look more on that. We know in the New Testament, angels were very prominent. The first being to Zechariah, announcing the birth of St. John the Baptist. Again, to St. Joseph, several times, you know, to take Mary as your wife, uh, to flee into Egypt, to come back from Egypt. Uh, to the shepherds in Bethlehem, the angels ministered to Christ in the desert. Again, at Gethsemane, at the resurrection, at the ascension. In the New Testament, the angels helped Peter escape from prison. An angel struck Herod with a fatal disease. An angel stood by St. Paul during the terrible storm. St. Paul in Colossians tells us, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, whether visible or invisible, the angels, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. When he says thrones and powers, then there's, those are one of the nine choirs of angels. So there are more angels than I briefly stated in the New and Old Testament. Just pick up the book and start looking for them. Now, what is the church's teaching? We see the church coming in teaching us of angels very, very early. St. Augustine, who is, a, who is a doctor of the church, the name angel 
belongs to his office, not his nature. For angel means messenger. And that's what people have got to realize. Angel means the swiftness of them and where they come from and how they how they move. It is not the name of them. And also, incidentally, um, when you tell children, oh, they died and gone to heaven. They're now an angel in heaven. No, no, no. We do not die and become angels. And we'll discuss that a little bit later. The servant of God, Father Hardin wrote, by definition, an angel is a purely spiritual created substance who exists as an individual person with a mind and a will, but unlike man, has not bodily parts that can be perceived by the senses. And finally, in the at the Fourth Lateran Council in the year 1215, the council gave us the definitive church teaching on angels. Angelic spirits were created when time began, not from eternity, but by God out of nothing. There are no more angels today than when they were first created at the beginning of time. So they, unlike us, where we're continually, our souls are created and people have children, angels were created in one block, one instant. Now the early church tells us, Dionysius describes angels as celestial intelligences, intellectual beings. And keep this in mind as we talk more about angels, you'll see how this comes into play. Because their world is a world of perfection. Their knowledge extends to all the truths of the natural as well as the supernatural order. They were created in full perfection. Unlike angels, we, our knowledge, though, is gained gradually over the years, first with senses, then to general ideas, and finally abstract ideas. We are not created in full perfection. We are not created with all the knowledge we need. So angels are agile and swift, and they pass from place to place in a twinkling of an eye. Just boom. Their power and light, their power and strength are inconceivable. We want to sum up that these bright spirits are pure, lustrous images reflecting the infinite perfections of God. They are living replicas of God's beauty. So we have the church teachings, which is definitive. We have no more angels are being created and the, some of the early church writings. Now the saints, the saints is where you get some feel for what angels are because it's private revelation. I always like to say private revelation is tr- tradition with a small t, meaning you can take it. It's approved. It's You don't have to believe it. Tradition with a capital T is like the Immaculate Conception and the Council's teachings that I just read to you on what angels are. So St. Bridget of Sweden was favored with heavenly visions, tells that were we to see an angel in all their beauty, we would be so ravaged with delight at the sight we would die of love. That is something to sit and think about. That's how beautiful an angel is. St. Thomas Aquinas, who's a doctor of the church and has written more on angels than anybody I know, especially in his writings, he tells us angels converse with each other by the mere act of will and the opening of the minds. They have no bodies. They cannot speak like we do. Now, this concept, the mere act of the will and opening of the minds, was best illustrated by St. Augustine of the 4th century. And he knew a doctor who doubted the existence of his immortal soul. One night while sleeping, this man heard a voice say, Gennadius, can you hear me? I am an angel. He answered, yes, I can hear you. What are you hearing me with your ears? The angel asked. He answered, no, I'm fast asleep, cannot hear you with my ears. Gennadius, can you see me? The angel asked. He answered, yes, I can see you. What do you see me with, your eyes, the angel asked. And he answered, no, I'm fast asleep. My eyes are shut tight. I cannot see you with my eyes. Gennadius, can you talk to me, the angel then asked. He answered, yes, I can talk to you. 
Well, what are you talking to me with, your mouth? The angel asked him. He answered, no, I'm fast asleep. My mouth is shut tight. I am not talking to you with my mouth. The angel then told him, Gennadius, you have just heard, seen, and spoken to me with your immortal soul. And this best illustrates this mere act of the will and the opening of the minds. Now, St. Thomas Aquinas further tells us each great star, planet, and sun, every heavenly body, even the greatest, has its own guardian angel. But this doctor of the church says the special object of angels' care is us, the human race. Now, in the opinion of St. Clement, who was a pope, St. Gregory the Great, a pope, and other holy writers, every country, every city, every town, and village, even every parish and family has its own special guardian angel. St. Francis Xavier, founder of the uh, Ignatius, founder of the uh, Great Order, evoked the aid of every guardian angel of every country and city where he preached. So he never went anywhere. And I like to tell people that when you have to go into a situation that you don't know what's going to happen to you, send your angel to prepare your way there, to talk to the angels of everybody in there, to open their minds. Every church has a special angel to guard it. We should invoke the aid and protection of every angel when we enter a church. And we must remember that angel is in there to do what? To adore the hidden God in the tabernacle. St. Gregory the Great, the great, great Pope, said, The heavens open and the multitude of angels come to assist at Holy Mass. Now, this is another thing we must realize. Every Mass we attend, we don't see the angels that are there. St. Gregory tells us they're there. St. Augustine said the angels surround and help the priest when he's celebrating divine liturgy. St. John Chrysostom, doctor of the church, when a Mass is being celebrated, the sanctuary is filled with countless of angels who adore the divine victim immolated on the altar. This should alone should make you in awe at, at when you attend your Mass. So if you can't attend Mass, send your angel to Mass to, adore, to attend the Mass for you, to adore Jesus in the tabernacle when you're unable to be there. Send him often during the day to bring you spiritual communion. They'll bring it to you willingly. Oh, what an honor it is for them to do that for you. So this just gives you a brief overview. We'll be talking a little bit more about them. Right now I'm going to bring Barb into the show because she's going to talk to us between her and me. We're going to give you some good information on the church's teaching on the nine choirs of angels. There's just not one group, angels, who guards us in the human race. There's eight others that help us with our relationship with God. Welcome to the show, Barb. Well, thank you, Katie. It's good to be with you again. Oh, yes. So we see here with the nine choirs, before I let you, we, of course, we know the duties of the angels is to guard the human race. I'll let you start with archangels. But I first want to just state that the choirs are divided into three categories. The first deal with their relationship to God, seraphim, cherubim, and thrones. The seraphim are inflamed with the love of God, the cherubim full of knowledge of God, the thrones surround God. The next one is common government, dominions, virtues, and powers. These appoint the duties then carry them out, and then order the method of execution of the duties. And the last one is the execution of the work. Principalities, archangels, and angels. Principalities regulate the movement. Archangels are ambassadors. Angels guard the human race. So as we talk about each choir individually, Barb's going to talk about the archangels, because the angels, there's nothing more we need to say. They guard us. That's their job. Yes, and the archangels are, they bring us strength and consolation. So many of us are praying the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel after Mass. That's been reintroduced in recent years, and it's a good prayer to have because the church is under attack, and St. Michael is here to strengthen us and console us and to 
and to uh, to guard us, and he's an ambassador for us. So on behalf of the church, so we're really happy to have St. Michael part of these prayers again, the protection prayer. So St. Michael, he was a strength for the martyrs. He was a warrior. So the martyrs, when you read about the horrible deaths that they had to go through, it can it can really truly be frightening and you wonder how they endured it. But St. Michael was there to give them strength and possibly was there to, to, to strengthen our Lord Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane as well. So he might have been the one that was there with Jesus. And um, if we're ever facing such a situation, St. Michael would be the one we would want to turn to, to help us become a warrior for the faith, to help us to live up to that uh, type of death we might be endured. Or even if we're enduring white martyrdom right now, or you're suffering because of persecutions, it, just in the culture, just in the cultural yeah. place, help us pray to St. Michael to help us to be a warrior because Mary needs warriors. Jesus needs warriors. We need to stand up right now and be heard. So St. Michael's the one we would turn to. And St. Gabriel, he has been charged, uh, he has charge of children and priests. He is a patron of contemplative prayer and in physical, spiritual and physical pains, call on him for strength and a strong devotion to Our Lady. As you know, St. Gabriel was the one who com communicated with Mary and Jesus and Zachary in the infant narrative of St. Yeah. Luke's gospel. So St. Gabriel was the one who brought the message of the salvation that was coming, the Messiah. I mean, what a great honor. So he um, he's the one that we turn to to be drawn further into contemplative prayer and for strength and strong devotion to Our Lady. And then St. Raphael, we know he is the one we want to invoke for a good confession so by honoring St. Raphael, you will always have a good spiritual director in your pocket. He's especially assists us in the administration and the reception of penance. So married couples should also venerate him. St. Raphael is a patron for married couples. Yeah, I know on the internet you see a lot of different archangels, different names. Mm -hmm. And what I've researched I've done, these are the three that the church acknowledges i don't know who those other ones are that are on there but i just wanted to give that as uh, out there for the people these are the three that were in sacred scripture and these are the three the church has recognized now mm -hmm. there's probably there are many more archangels they're just not those three i understood just, there were seven one was one was named uriah but again i don't know where these come from it might be from long held traditions but again yeah. these are the ones found in, in sacred scripture so. and we're not sure but it to be on the safe side, just venerate the three that the church has told us are there from the scripture mm -hmm. and stuff. What's going on in principalities? Well, principalities are the angels that um, they are the ones that, as you mentioned, they regulate the movement of work. So they serve parishes and they are there to adore the hidden Jesus in their parishes and watch over the parishioners. And um, we all, parishes are there's so much work that comes through the parish because we're, you know, the church comes down from the hierarchy all the way down to the domestic church. And so <coughs> the domestic church being the family. So the parishes is our next step up and the principalities help to serve the work of the parish and in proclaiming the gospel to serve the priests when they're um, writing their homilies to serve the work of the parish, the programs that come to us, the, the ways that the family can grow, that people can grow in their faith, that's what the principalities help with. And then the fourth one are the powers. Now, we've, the first three you did were the lower hierarchy. Now you're, the next three will be the middle hierarchy with common government. Mm 
Powers serve priests, especially priests who are confessors of very devout souls. They inv To invoke angels from this choir for help during spiritual dryness, slothfulness, with anger and impatience. Um, one of the things, Barb, I I'd read when I, because I, I got involved learning about angels years and years ago when I talked about them. One of them I learned was, as you progress in holiness, you are given another angel to guard you, to help you from the different choirs. Married people at their, at, when they're married are given an angel from the from the one of the choirs that helps with married people, as we mm -hmm. saw there. Um, priests are given an angel at their ordination. So as you move forward, you know, it's seen that you need more. We all know we have a guardian angel, but not many of us know that we have other angels that might be interacting with us and helping us. So I thought that's a nice thing to throw out there. Mm -hmm. Nothing you have to believe. It's just a nice thought to have there. Mm -hmm. um, with virtues, what's going on with that choir, Barb? Well, God assigns these angels to the souls who are striving for perfection. So those who are truly um, engaged in their path of holiness, it's something they're desiring, they're I mean, you think of people like St. Teresa of Avila, who shows us the different paths to perfection. And so you're assigned an angel of the virtues who helps you. Um, it helps all of those who are inclined to contemplation. Now, contemplation is a deeper form of meditation where you're almost resting in, in the presence yeah. of God. And you're not necessarily your 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 mind isn't working so hard anymore. You're, you know, when you're working to meditate, you're you you let your mind take over, and your meditation might be looking at a scene from the Bible. And you, when you're meditating easily, like when we're saying our rosary, your your mind is focused on the scene that's playing out, and you're you you can allow your um you can allow God to work through that meditation to teach you something. But when you are raised to a level of contemplation, you're contemplating God in silence in your soul. Your mind is turned off. Your imagination isn't operating. You are just resting in the Lord, and the Lord is working in you. You are, like, underneath him while he's above you working. So souls that are working, that <coughs> gain that level of holiness, again, I would refer to St. Teresa of Avila's book, yeah. Interior Castles, the angels from the virtues are assigned to help you with that. Yeah, and the next choir, the Dominations, that's the last one in that middle tier. Uh, these angels help teachers, guide missionaries, and work to spread God's kingdom on earth. You can see where I told you as you progress in your life, you're given angels from different choirs. I mean, mm -hmm. if these are to help teachers, how many teachers need help today? Right. <clears throat> Our missionaries. So it's Dominations that come in there and do things for us and help us in the goal of, of teaching. It's, it's, a, it's a place there that's helping them guide and spread the faith on earth. Uh, thrones. Now, the last three are the ones that are closest to God. And thrones, uh, every diocese, religious community has an angel taken from this choir. Their role is authority. So the diocese you live in, is take, you've got an angel that's guarding it from thrones. All your religious communities. So this, this is what... You know, you've got Satan going around like a roaring lion, which we're going to talk a little bit more in the show. So you need angels to protect you because that's what they're there for. And the last two I'll let Barb tell you about. <clears throat> yeah, the cherubim, we've all heard of the cherubim, cherubim and seraphim because they're in our Christmas stories and in our music that we sing. They are The cherubim are the swords of God. They help when faith is doubted. They help with scrupulous people and those who... Uh, have with severe temptations against purity. So 
truly we need to turn to them when our when we are lacking when our faith is um you know we go in our ups and downs sometimes we're high on our faith and sometimes we're very low and in our country in our our world today there's a lot of temptation against purity so i imagine the cherubim are working over over time but if that is a struggle that you're having turn to the cherubim and ask the lord to assign you one of these swords of god to help you with this and then the seraphim are this is the choir that was made to love god alone so they're constantly uh, in adoration before God and um, loving him and worshiping him. Yeah, tradition again tells us that we know a third of the angels, we'll talk about that in a few minutes, fell when mm -hmm. Satan rebelled. But the the places that were left empty by them are being filled by us. And uh, again, this is, this is tradition of the small t. St. Francis was known as the seraphic saint because of his burning love for God. And he is supposed to have taken the place that Lucifer once held. Mm -hmm. So that's very interesting to, you know, to hear this, that he's now in that place. And so whether that's not saying it's the absolute truth, but it's just stuff that I have read. And of course, he was, that was his title, the seraphic saint. The cherubim, they were the ones that were put at the Garden of Eden with the flaming mm -hmm. sword when they drove Adam and Eve out. And they're the mm -hmm. ones who guard it. So we can see the role of angels in here. Now, what does our garden angel do for us? Uh, our garden angel is given to us to enlighten, defend, and guide us during our earthly existence. And there's a beautiful story concerning this role of your angel related to us by Pope St. Gregory the Great. He was a phenomenal pope. He was about the 4th or 5th century. I mean, so much came from him. Now, this pope was devoted to his guardian angel. And it was to his angel that he owed the obtaining of being pope, papal dignity. So when he was an abbot of a monastery, because he was a Benedictine abbot, that he built in Rome, his guardian angel frequently appeared to him disguised as a poor merchant begging for alms. After he was elected pope, this pontiff adopted the custom of daily feeding 12 poor persons. The one time when he was feeding them, he beheld one of the persons whose virtuous bearing impressed him deeply. Upon inquiring of who he was, he received this reply. I am the poor merchant to whom you gave besides money the silver dish of your mother. This act of charity which I caused you to perform prepared you for the dignity of high priest. I am your angel. Fear not, Gregory. God sent to tell me that you obtained everything you asked for through my service. As I was the cause of you being raised to the chair of Peter, I shall also protect you in this position unto death. Mm. So to me, that's wow. You know, mm -hmm. if you if you love your angels and, and pray to them and honor them, there's so much they can do for you. Uh, St. Gertrude the Great was once inspired to offer her Holy Communion in honor of the nine choirs of angels. After reading this years ago, I do this fairly often, especially on Mondays when I offer my Mass for the nine choirs of angels. God permitted to see how radiantly happy they were for this act of love. And she wrote, she never dreamed she could give them such happiness. We got to remember the angels cannot receive our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament like we can. Right. All they can do is be in holy awe. Mm -hmm. I think the one who brought the communion to the three children, which we'll be talking about later, I like to think there was a holy battle in heaven is who was going to do it. You know, the honor of bringing the Blessed Sacrament to them. Because Luke tells us, so I say to you, there shall be joy before the angels of God upon one sinner doing penance. And this simple statement reveals the most beautiful and noble act of the angelic will, their love. Mm -hmm. They love us because we're made in God's image and likeness. 
And so, Barb, I'm going to let you talk a little bit about the angels and their role, and then we'll have you go into the fall of the angels so people can understand where we're going after this. Well, the angels are here to serve us, as you said. And when you look at how nine nine choirs of angels, I mean, we got a lot that we can rely on. And especially as we grow in holiness and take on different roles in our life, there's always an angel there to, to serve us. And so they were they were created to love and protect us and inspire us with holy thoughts and desires. If you are struggling with unholy thoughts and desires, ask your your angel to turn that around and inspire you with holy thoughts and desires. They offer our prayers to the Lord. They offer our good works and our tears to God. And they conduct our souls to heaven or to purgatory there to console us. And so, um, you know they're they're here to service. Oftentimes you 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 almost slip on a steps and you think oh thank thank you to the guardian angel who you know I didn't yeah. fall and break my leg or you know I often wonder how often my guardian angel protected me from possibly dangerous situations I might have gotten into in my younger years you know or you mm-hmm. know you take a take a wrong turn or even when you're I'm I'm out walking I walk a lot and I'm close to the city of Minneapolis so I'm out walking a lot I often wonder if my angel protects me sometimes when I'm and I've never been harmed and, and getting up in the middle of the night, going down for holy hours. I do that frequently. I've done it for over 30 years. I've never had an incident happen to me. And I attribute that to my guardian angel protecting me, making sure that I can get to the chapel and adore the Lord. I have a cute, this this is a story that was told to me by someone who knew the man it happened to. He was mm-hmm. a nurse and he knew the doctor. There was a, a doctor that received a phone call late at night from this man. Come to my house quickly. I need your help. And he gave him his address, and the doctor was like, okay, we all come, you know, where are you at? Because the man insisted. So when he got to the door, he knocked on it, and the man opened the door, looked at him and said, never mind, I don't need you. And the doctor says, wait a minute, wait a minute, you called me, you said I desperately needed a doctor. He says, I don't need you now, and slammed the door in his face. The doctor didn't think much about that until three months later, he was working in the emergency room. This is where my friend came in, because he's a nurse there. And... This man's coming in, raving, screaming, and yelling, and they got him bound and tied down, and finally they got him calmed down. The doctor comes in to look at him, and he goes, you don't remember me, do you? And the doctor goes, no, I don't. He says, I'm the man who called you to come to my home several months ago. He says, yeah, what happened with that? Why would you call me and then send me away? He says, oh, you don't know. He says, I do drugs and everything. I I called you to come there because I was going to kill you. Oh. The dark, he goes, well, why didn't you? He said, I came by myself. He said, oh, no, 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 no. You were not by yourself. You had a tall, strong companion with you, and I knew I could not hurt <sighs> you without going through him. Mm-hmm. What happened was that man, prior to that phone call, had consecrated himself to his angel and started taking a more intimate role with mm-hmm. being involved and talking to his angel and praying to his angel. So that, to me, just illustrates. We This is like modern times the angels do protect you you just mm-hmm. don't know when they're out there mm-hmm. so i just thought i'd share that i forgot about that so uh go ahead barb we know angels see our souls priceless in value because it was deemed by the blood of christ so let's talk a little bit about the fallen angels because yes they that's hate always us. an interesting uh thing to ponder how did the angels fall when they're they've been created to love and adore God, and they they, um, they they see the beatific vision. How do you fall from that? But they were all created in the state of innocence and justice, but being like man, they do have free will, and they had to undergo a trial. So according to some theologians, their trial was that the mystery of the incarnation of the Word, God becoming man, 
was proposed to them for their adoration, along with a woman becoming their queen and mistress, excelling them in grace and goodness. I mean, it's it's been said that when the Blessed Mother was created, the angels just, they were, who is she? What is this? I mean, she was just a masterpiece of grace. So there was jealousy that happened. So in the Revelations, chapter 12, it tells us what happened. And there was a great battle in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. And they prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And that great dragon was cast out, that old serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, who seduces the whole world, and he was cast unto the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So Satan, whose name means liar, uh, he was Lucifer, and he rebelled with one-third of the other angels. At this point, an archangel cried out, Who is like unto God? The majority of the angels followed him, St. Michael. And then Lucifer's origin of evil was the sin of pride. This pride plunged him into the depths of hell for all eternity. Pride is what got mankind to sin in the Garden of Evil, Eden yeah, as now, well. Michael's name means who is like unto God. That's the word Michael means. Okay. So his name, it translated is who is like unto God, which is, and Lucifer's name means light. Uh, some of the things I've read and the about Luc about the name and Lucifer was supposed to be one, the highest angel God created. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but his name meant light. So go ahead, Barb, continue. So it it seems as if God was pretty severe with the angels, more so than with man. But um, we have to bear in mind that being free from passion and sensitive appetites, they don't have a body. So their act of angelic will was determined by a decision and firmness that is final. And there's no reversing. They were in, they're in the glory of God. They're witnessing God. They, they, the, the will was to reject that completely. I mean, that, that's a, yeah. I, I, I do believe that the scripture says that um, God would never tempt their wills again. Um, so it was all, it, it was all or nothing with them. They cannot change their wills for they knew all considerations at a glance. And so all their facts they're, they're weighted and they chose. So the New Testament states with fact in Luke chapter 10, 18, I saw Satan like lightning falling from heaven. And then again in John chapter 8, he says, Satan was a murderer from the beginning and he stood not in truth because truth is not in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. He is a liar, the father thereof. So church this, tradition tells us. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead, Katie. Go ahead, Barb. Never mind. Uh, church tradition tells us that it was from the choir of the seraphim that Lucifer fell due to the sin of pride. And he had a false estimation of himself, which is a lie. And because of this failure to give glory and thanks to God, he sinned with perfect knowledge, with free will, without seduction. He was not seduced into this. He was not tempted. And consequently, his sin was inexcusable. He cannot he cannot say he's sorry because he has no, like we sin and we come back with like, wow, why did I do that? Mm -hmm. What made me do that? We have that confusion. We have that constant, we don't see the clear picture because of our human nature. The angels don't have that. They see it, they know it, they do it, they embrace it. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a hard concept to come by. Satan, if he was even offered forgiveness, would not accept it. He is confirmed in his mm -hmm. path that he chose. And he's, and then he wants all of us to be there with him because he hates us. Because God came down and redeemed us. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And we are so far beneath him in the scale of, of things. You know, there's 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 the infinite, which is God. Then there's finite creation, the angels, pure spirits. And then you come all the way down to us, man. He, You know, Satan considers us like an ant. The fact that God would stoop that low and assume our humanity and and raise us up, especially in the Mary, the mother of God, it he can't handle it. You know, his pride refused to to worship that. And incidentally, their sin of pride happened before they had the beatific vision. Because if once you have the beatific vision, you can never turn on God. So before they could see God, as, as the angels now in heaven see him, they had to pass that one test, which uh, tradition tells us was instantaneous. It was like a click of the finger. It wasn't anything that was long and drawn out. It's just we have that in apocalypse for us to understand that better. Mm-hmm. Well, and he hates the Blessed Mother so much because oh, yes. he could never touch her. He couldn't get her to sin because she was full of grace. So she was a. Um, I like St. Paul's in Ephesians 6. I love this. Our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. One of the choirs, powers. So if you know the names of the choirs of angels, you see what this means. Against the rulers of this world of darkness. He said, put on the armor of God and the shield of faith. And when I speak at different organizations and stuff, Barbara, I always feel that the uh, that this armor that St. Paul's referring to is Our Lady's Rosary, and that shield he's referring to is her brown scapular. Mm-hmm. You know, when we grab those two sacramentals, we are we are protecting ourselves from you know everything that's there. Satan cannot can tempt us, but he cannot read our minds. This is an important point for people to understand. When you vocalize what you're thinking, I had a very holy priest tell me this, then Satan's aware of it. But because of his extreme intelligence, his great beauty was taken from him, grace was taken from him, but not his intellect, not his intelligence. So he's, you know, um, priest told me that when you go to confession, our Lord forgives your sins and forgets them, and so does, and Satan no longer knows what it was he caused to make a sin at that moment. And then people will come out and they'll say, well, I turn around and I sin within 20 minutes after confession sometimes. Well, that's because Satan is extremely intelligent and he's able to work around us and pull out our weaknesses. This is why confession is so important. Mm -hmm. Frequent confession is constantly, I tell people, making Satan start back from go again. You know, you stay away from confession for a year, man. He's had a year to play on you. Whereas if you're going to confession at least once a month, which is asked for by the first Saturdays, I went once a week growing up. He's constantly starting over again because he doesn't know where we're going. That's the importance of the sacrament of confession. He cannot read your mind. He affects our emotional nature by giving us our imagination pictures to look at. But he cannot touch your mind or your free will. That's why I tell people there are some things they'll tell me that I or I'll see and I'll say, you know, I could have died happy not knowing that. Because now that's just something for Satan to play on your imagination in your mind. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way. But uh, the good angels touch us by illumination, which the devils cannot do. Mm-hmm. This is something God gives the angels, a clear perception of God's will for us. So that's how they inspire us. They touch our minds, and God gives angels the grace to do this. But Satan's purpose is to seduce. But he's never permitted to tempt us beyond our strength. He's a deceiver. And St. Augustine tells us the greatest protection against Satan is humility of mind. And who is our model for humility of mind but Our Lady? Mm-hmm. You know, Satan's chains people to his will by inciting them to riches. 
This is something you can see going on in our world today, thereby obtaining honor and human recognition, inducing them to pride, and according to St. Ignatius Loyola, it is these three steps the evil one leads to all other vices. So the church today is warning us against the devil. Some people think he's a symbol. He's a superstition. They don't believe he's there. He's a buffoon. I've had people actually tell me that when they die, if they go to hell, at the end of time, hell is going to cease to exist. God's going to forgive everybody. Mm. I've heard everything from A to Z concerning this, you know, the devil and who he is and how we, you know, he's nothing to be afraid of. Yet Pope St. Paul VI on November the 6th, 1972, had this to say. The devil is a treacherous and cunning enchanter who finds his way into us by the way of our senses, our imagination, our lust, and a utopian logic. Those who take him lightly or smile at his existence are the easiest prey of what the apostle called the mystery of iniquity. Basically, he said, to fight Satan, we must pray. And I, I want to add to um, how he attacks us. He attacks us in our woundedness. We all have woundedness from yeah. our childhood. Um, and, and he attacks us there, and that's how people become, um, we can have obsessive things happen, we can have negativity towards ourselves. we can, there's unforgiveness there. The church has a new ministry to help people who are not possessed by Satan, but oppressed, oppression. Yeah, oppression, yeah. Oppression, and the, 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 what can solve this is forgiveness. They call it unbound, the unbound ministry. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yes, and I here in the Minneapolis-St. Paul Diocese, we do have this ministry in place, and it's a new ministry that the church has brought forward to. It's kind of a first step before someone might go seek an exorcist, because most of us are um, we're dealing with the the woundedness that's in us, and so what is what solves that is forgiveness, bringing it to the light, and then forgiving. And so, you know, Satan is a liar. He tells us lies about ourselves. He he doesn't want us to see our dignity as made in the image of God. And so we, we, we can be plagued with negative thoughts about ourselves, or we can be plagued with this woundedness that turns into um, negative behaviors. And, the, and what, what heals that is the humility to look at it and then to forgive where we need to forgive. And that's really hard with people who have suffered from deep, deep childhood wounds. But it is wounds one and of stuff. the ways that the church is helping. St. Thomas Aquinas, I'm pretty sure it's him, has told, has was wrote, I'm pretty sure it was him or I'll say in Augustine, that everyone is born with an inclination or a weakness to one of the seven capital sins. Mm-hmm. And it is this that Satan hammers at, because as soon as he finds out that's your weakness, he, he flies at it. So somebody who is, who, is, who is very patient and compassionate by nature, you know, it's anger, attempting them to anger isn't any good because they're not prone to that. That's not their weakness. That's not where they fly out at. So you look at the seven capital sins and a good confessor will tell you which one is your your Achilles heel that mm-hmm. you have to work on. And all the saints knew that. Uh, one of the saints was, um, I'm trying to think, it was not St. Francis de Sales. Who was it? Uh, St. Vincent de Paul, the founder of the um, order that St. Catherine Labore came from. When somebody who had not uh, who had known him in his, in his youth and then met him later in life could not believe the difference because they said he was fiery, angry. He could just shoot off really quickly, and that was his weak point. And he worked on that his whole life so that if somebody were to see him later in life with all those years of not seeing him, they would be shocked at the simplicity, the humility, and the meekness of the man. 
Don't know me wrong. People didn't walk all over him, but that's what he had to conquer, and that's what he worked on his whole life to conquer, mm-hmm. his his ability to go to get angry at the drop of a hat. Well, and there's and, always a virtue that's on the opposite end yes. that you're supposed to strive for, and that's what the angels will help us to attain the virtue we need to overcome that that fault. And that's the struggle. That may be what St. Paul struggled with, and he said there was a thorn in his side that God never healed. Maybe he struggled with a sin all his life was something he couldn't overcome, but you know we're not we're called to persevere and to strive for perfection. But we needed a savior because we couldn't perfect ourselves. So we have to remember that these God presents things in our lives too, and He presents people in our lives that may stir up that weakness in us because He wants us to work on it. He wants us to overcome it. So that's what we're called to do: is overcome these. And there's more on angels than what we talked about today. This is just like you know, just giving you the highlights. Mm-hmm. But this now goes into Fatima, which I'm going to turn this portion over to Bob. I'll interject when I have something to say. But we want to now talk about the angel at Fatima 1916. Before we let you go into I want you to be aware that there was only one other earthly apparition of Our Lady where an angel was involved. It was the guardian angel of St. Catherine Labore who came and took her to Our Lady, prepared her to put her hands in Our Lady's lap, put her head in her lap, and to sit there for several hours conversing with her privately. So then we jump forward not even a hundred years, and what happens in 1916 to prepare the children for the great Fatima message? Well, this is always one of the most interesting parts of the Fatima story is the angel apparitions in 1916 that Lucia didn't even talk about for 20 years. It was amazing when she revealed to her bishop that there was an angel that appeared, and when someone asked her why did you never tell anybody? And she says, nobody asked me, and I was under obedience to be silent. So this is a such a profound experience that these children had that the angel came three times in 1916 to prepare them for the visits of the apparition of Mary that happened a year later. But the angel truly, this is where the idea of Eucharistic reparation and devotion comes into the Fatima message, what the angel did for these children. And he identified himself as the angel of peace, and then again as the angel of Portugal. Now, the Portuguese traditionally see St. Michael the Archangel as their their guardian angel. So he said he, he was the guardian angel of Portugal, but um, that's, that's not something we can confirm, but there are many people who believe it actually was St. Michael that appeared to them. And then, like I said, he came, he came to prepare the children for the, the mother of God who would visit them a year later on May 13th, and the angel came from the east. The children were out with the with the sheep, out pasturing the sheep, and suddenly they saw this figure coming toward them from the east. He was whiter than snow. He was in the form of a young man, transparent and brighter than crystal, pierced by the rays of the sun. So he was absolutely beautiful and brilliant. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I am the angel of peace. Pray with me. Again, the angels always come to us, and the first thing they say to is, do not be afraid. That's what happens all through Scripture. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So they're here to bring us comfort and consolation, and the children were not afraid of him. They were just enamored by how beautiful he was and how bright and you know made of light. It was just so amazing. So the angel bowed down, touched his head to forehead to the earth, and the three children imitated him. And he said, he taught them this prayer that we call the pardon prayer. My God, I believe, I adore, I hope, and I love you. I beg pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, 
do not hope and do not love you. And the angel repeated this prayer three times. And then he said to the children, pray thus, the hearts of Jesus and Mary are attentive to the voice of your supplications. And then he disappeared. So that first apparition was very brief. Lucia said the prayer that they said was um, well, indelibly etched in their minds and hearts so they didn't forget it. But he taught them how to rightly worship God, how to bow down in adoration. And this prayer is so simple for all of us to learn. It's, again, a prayer of pleading to God for the conversion of others. And it's taught by an angel. So this, these are important things. And when he tells them that the Jesus and Mary are attentive to the to the voice of your supplications, they're being given they're going to be given a mission. And he's preparing them for this mission. And Jesus and Mary are listening to their prayers. Jesus and Mary respond to their prayers. So this is a very important part of, you know, he's preparing them for this great mission. Uh, do you have any more to say about that, Katie? About no, you that? pretty covered it. You covered it very well. And so what's interesting about this, too, the apparition was so intense that it remained with the children and only gradually disappeared. They often talked about they were just, they felt woozy and they stumbled. They, they were in a like a fog and, and they couldn't even speak about it to, amongst themselves because the angel left them in such a supernatural aura, which was quite different from how they felt when the Blessed Mother came. They said she felt light and um, mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a lightness for her because she had a body and the angel was pure spirit. There is no body there. So there's no male or female. And we'll talk about that later. The angel does not have a body. And so there, it's pure spirit. And, and they were just left in this very supernatural feeling of just they couldn't even hardly speak. So that's really interesting, too. Well, the second time the angel appeared to them was during the summer of 1916, and the children were quietly playing when the, the angel appeared. And he said, what are you doing? Pray, pray very much. The hearts of Jesus and Mary have designs of mercy on you. Offer prayers and sacrifices constantly to the Most High. And that's when Lucia had the courage to ask, how are we to make sacrifices? And the angel responded, make of everything you can a sacrifice and offer to God as an act of reparation for the sins by which he was offended and in supplication for the conversion of sinners. You will thus draw down peace upon your country. I am its guardian angel, the angel of Portugal. Above all, accept and bear with submission the suffering which the Lord will send you. And so here again, these, our offerings to God, our little acts of sacrifice and penance, can bring down peace upon our country. He's identifying himself here as the angel of Portugal, which again is... Many believe he was St. Michael who was coming. And St. Michael is very prominently in our world today as a defender for us. So I tend to believe that was St. Michael that was that came. Yeah, I do too. He's coming to offer protection and he's imploring them, you know, to console God who's who's in need of our, our sins are 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 in um our sins are in need they, they require God's justice. And so we can diminish that requirement of justice by making acts of sacrifice to make up for them. And again, the children were profoundly affected by this apparition, but again, they didn't speak of it to anybody. I don't know how, you know, something, they, they felt internally, interiorly, that they were not to speak of it. So that was something that the angel indelibly put in their minds 
Especially Jacinta, who was very Mm -hmm. talkative. Yes. Yes. (laughs) The fact that she kept it to herself was truly, this was something extraordinary that was put down on him, Mm -hmm. upon them. And uh, the the last time they appeared, uh, go ahead on that one, fall of 1916. Well, this is where the angel really um, comes to give them Holy Communion, and this is where we get the Eucharistic aspect of the Fatima message. So he appeared a third time in the fall. He came holding a chalice in his hands with a host suspended above it, from which some drops of blood were falling into the chalice. And leaving the chalice and host suspended up in the air, he prostrated himself on the ground and put his head down to the forehead down to the ground and he repeated this prayer that's called the angel prayer i have learned this prayer by heart because i pray it as i'm going up to holy communion it's such a beautiful prayer yes same here i i I pray it all the time and so it's most holy trinity father son and holy spirit i adore you profoundly i offer you the most precious body blood soul and divinity of jesus christ present in all the tabernacles of the world in reparation for the outrages, sacrileges, and indifferences with which he is offended. And by the infinite merits of the Sacred Heart and the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I beg of thee the conversion of poor sinners. What a beautiful prayer. And this is not an easy prayer to learn, but like I said, the children, Lucia said, the prayer was indelibly etched in their minds so they couldn't forget it, even though she sometimes forgot exactly what Our Lady said. This prayer did not leave them. They remembered it from that moment. And that's a gift from the angels as well. Yes. This knowledge that was imparted to them. And then after that, the angel took the chalice and the host in his hands, and he gave the host to Lucia. And then to Jacinta and and Francisco, they received the chalice, the precious blood. And he said to them, take and drink the body and blood of Jesus Christ, horribly outraged by ungrateful men. Repair their crimes and console your God. That's a pretty, I mean, that statement from him really impacted Francisco, especially, who spent the rest of his life trying to console God. I mean, he did not hear the angel as he didn't hear Mary when she spoke. So he had to rely on uh, Jacinta and Lucia telling him what the angel said. He did repeat the prayer with them because he heard how they were saying it. So he was able to do that. But again, teaching them, this is your God and in the Holy Eucharist. And Jacinta and Francisco had not received First Communion yet, so they received the precious blood. Lucia had had her First Communion, so she received the host. What's interesting is um, Francisco received the Communion one more time because Communion wasn't given to the very young back then. Mm -hmm. So he received it when he was dying. That was Jacinta's First Communion and only Communion. She Mm -hmm. did not get it on her deathbed because they didn't believe she was going to die when she said she was going to die. Mm-hmm. So, unbelievable. So First communion from an angel. Right. Mm. Well, there is a legend, you know, we talked about the angels cannot consecrate a host. Yeah. There is a legend in Portugal near Fatima that there was a priest the night before, or sometime during that time frame, who had counted out all the hosts that he needed for mass the next morning. He put the chalice into the tabernacle, he closed it and locked it. The next morning when he came... The, the tabernacle was unlocked and there was a host missing. So there's a possibility that St. Michael, the archangel, went to the tabernacle and took a host that was already consecrated. And that's what he gave to them. I'm not sure. That's just another legend. That's a, that's a, that's a very beautiful one. I yeah. like that. And he went, to, he was so, he was so concerned about it 
that he had left the tabernacle unlocked and that someone might have stolen a host because it was the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ. And we know that Satanists want consecrated hosts because Satan knows that truly is the real presence. So he wants the consecrated host so he can defile it. And, you know, for satanic black masses, they always want a consecrated host. So what does that tell you? But he yeah. finally, I, I heard that at the end of his death, that when he was getting close to death, somebody asked him about that, and he said he was at peace about it. And there was, he had finally come to peace with that. That would be a, that would be terrible to be a priest and to have that responsibility and worry, you know, mm-hmm. especially in this day and age and stuff like that. Later on in the series, we will be talking about the Eucharist. We'll be talking about the Church's teachings. We'll be talking about Eucharistic miracles, things that have happened. So. You know, be prepared for that down the road. That'll be a whole new two or three series doing that because there's so much on the Eucharist that we can do. Now, Barb, I'm going to have you again. Tell us what's going on with Blue Army, uh, with the Year to St. Joseph, and the, you know, uh, how people can get the icon and stuff. I know more than likely the icon was uh, blessed already on the first Mm -hmm. Saturday on February the 6th, so we know it's ready to go out. Yes, and we should uh, be. We have um, pl- the icon available in the gift shop as a uh, eight by ten card that you can frame yourself or place on a plaque, or it's also available on a plaque that you can display. Um, we also have a prayer card we've developed with the icon, a prayer card that we had we ourselves wrote. Katie and I wrote this prayer card for our year of Saint Joseph, and that's available with the picture of the icon on it. And we're working on a small booklet for. Uh, St. Joseph that will also have a picture of the icon. So the icon was commissioned for our year of St. Joseph. It's the image of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph as they appeared during the um, Miracle of the Sun. It's a beautiful, beautiful icon, a very wonderful rendition of St. Joseph. We got a lot of requests for its use already, but we're trying to keep it special for our year at this point. Um, on March 6th, we're, as we continue our first Saturday series, we're welcoming Dr. Mark Miravalli, who is giving the talk on the need and nature of reparation. Why are we being asked to make reparation? And it ties right into this angel apparitions. You know, that was his main message to the children is to make reparation and console your God. And we are to make up for the sins of others who are not making up for them. And that's one way that we are also achieving our own holiness. We're growing in holiness by doing this. We're, it's a form of worship. It's a way that we worship God. And it's also an act of mercy towards sinners. That It's an act of mercy to do this. So, um, so we're asking people during this year to make the first Saturday devotions. Every first Saturday, try to do five of them consecutively in reparation for those blasphemies against the Immaculate Heart. We're bringing St. Joseph into our, Saint, our first Saturday devotion so he's part of our uh our meditations and um we're working on the final details of the speakers we just we have the speakers we don't know when they will be slotted in one of them will be katie moran here our my my host and um on may 1st we are doing an extended first saturday we're doing a conference called reclaiming the family through fathers so we have father uh calloway coming back to speak we have uh devin schott who's a founder of a group called the Fathers of St. Joseph. He's going to speak on the seven principalities of St. Joseph's spirituality. And then we have uh, Chris Stefanik, who's an EWTN host. He's speaking on uh, the courage to confess. So lots of things happening. All of these are presented virtually. If you cannot be at the shrine, 
present, presented virtually at bluearmy.com slash year of St. Joseph. And you can sign up there to receive our updates, our email updates as well. Well, it sounds like I've got a lot going on. Um, we're at the end of our show here right now. So I always close with one Hail Mary. And next week we will be discussing the aspect of the Fatima message that wasn't revealed right away, hell. The topic is called the wide road because the wide road is the wide road to hell. So we're going to be talking about church teachings and really give you an in-depth understanding on hell and how it is applied to the vision of hell in 1917 on July 13th when the children saw it and how it impacted them. So I want to thank Barb for being with me and we'll close with one Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, God, pray for us sinners, sinners, now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. In the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Glory to Jesus Christ, glory forever.